Hi everyone and welcome back to Girl Power Hour. This month we're going to be talking about mental health in honor of World Mental Health Day and for that we have a very special guest, mindfulness expert Corinne D'Souza. So she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and what she does. Hi everyone and thank you for having me on this podcast today. Mental health is very important and even more so with living in a pandemic and dealing with the new normals of life and living. I'm Corinne D'Souza. I am a mindfulness instructor and program creator. I've been teaching mindfulness for the last couple of years and I primarily teach at community health and senior centers across Toronto. I also do some one-on-one consultations, conferences, and some lectures. And for me, I really wanted to provide affordable mindfulness services for people from all socioeconomic backgrounds because in terms of finding evidence-based mindfulness programs, a lot of them are very expensive and out of reach for the average person. And part of my mindfulness approach is to take different practices from the various different evidence-based programming. And my general programs include practices from mindfulness-based stress reduction program. That was the first real evidence-based program that was created by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn in the 1970s. And that really spearheaded the mindfulness movement that we see today. The other two popular mindfulness programs are mindfulness-based self-compassion and the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program. But I also do draw from acceptance and commitment therapy, as well as just cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. That is so and interesting. Wow. It is. I feel like I need this so badly. <laughs> as university students, we both need this. All of us need this. So true. And we're so excited to have you on our podcast because I feel like yes. we all need an expert and we're afraid to ask people for help. And I feel like this I is know. an amazing way to for everyone to get help in a way. And just listen That's to an amazing true. podcast. <laughs> so and something a burning yeah. question for me is what led to you becoming a mindfulness expert? Why mindfulness? Yes, and how sure. did you yeah. end up on that path? Well, for me, mindfulness came at a very challenging point in my life. I was in the middle of doing a master's program at Queen's University, and I was out of the blue. I was hospitalized for about a week, and I had all these crazy symptoms and I had pericarditis and I was in pain and had a fever and the doctors weren't sure what was wrong with me and then they ran a bunch of tests it was really scary it sounds frightening yes yes especially because I'm like I don't have time for this I'm doing my master's (laughs) not a good time but of course uh you know how life works uh when you're doing 
<laughs> when you're doing something important, of course, big obstacles uh, <laughs> show up because that's that's life. And uh, they found out that I had overlapping autoimmune conditions, so lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and Sjogren's syndrome. And uh, of course, that like adds in so many uh, fun little symptoms into your daily life. And at first, of course, it was very difficult and challenging to mentally and physically deal with that. And I wasn't even sure what to do, where to start. I tried all different kinds of physical therapy, all different kinds of drugs, and nothing was really helping me enough to just feel at least, you know, 10% better, 20% yeah. better. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting desperate. What, what am I going to do? And I, uh, was told, you know what, maybe you should try mindfulness. And I was like, eh, mindfulness. <laughs> eh, I don't know about mindfulness. And of course, you know, the stereotypical images came to my mind. Of, yep. You know, people dressing in hippie clothes and <laughs> focusing on their thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, that does not sound like me at all. And I'm like, oh, I think so much. Like I couldn't possibly just sit down and like- And turn it off. And yeah. turn it off and focus on the present moment. So I did a mindfulness-based stress reduction program. And for the first time since being sick, something just clicked, you know, and you find something in your life and you're like, oh, okay, what's this? This seems to work. Right. <laughs> And I did a lot of research into it. And I was like, okay, this is all science based. I'm like, there's evidence straight from like the 1970s. I'm like, so we know that this works. And I'm like, I can get behind science and everything else. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep practicing mindfulness. And at the time I was living in Etobicoke and I wanted to find a mindfulness community to connect to because one of the big challenges with trying to be mindful and meditate is it's really important to have some kind of community to help you going, to feel connected, to feel supported. Otherwise, it's, you know, one of those things where you're like, I'm going to diet or I'm going to go to the gym. And then, of yes. course, you don't go. Yeah. And it just kind of floats away. I know that all too well. <laughs> floats away into nothingness. And you're like, yeah, I'll do it next year, next New Year's resolution. Yeah. And so I couldn't find a community in Etobicoke. And I was like, oh, this, this is really sad because people should have access to this. And I'm like, okay. Well, I'm like, I have a background in research. I taught in South Korea. I taught English in South Korea for a year. And I'm like, you know what? I could probably make some kind of program and teach it to the community. Right. <laughs> and uh, I talked to someone at LAMP Community Healthcare Center and they were like, yeah, we really want mindfulness at our center. And they were like, can you make a six-week program? And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll put something together. I was really nervous at first, but it went really, really well. 
everyone responded to it. And since then, I've just created more and more programs. I have a mindful resiliency program. I am running for the second time a specialized program called the Mindful Living Program, and it is government funded and it's for adult learners and so that's another exciting avenue so we have a few questions for you that we have asked our wonderful students at york university so we just want to ask for your advice and see where this goes so our first question for you is do you have any suggestions for students who overthink Yes, definitely. It's, it's funny, because when you think of students overthinking, in general, everyone is overthinking, especially mm, sure. yes. never taking the time <laughs> to be mindful. I know I really wish I had mindfulness in university, or in high school, it would have helped me a lot. And I have a couple different suggestions for students who are overthinking. Now, of course, traditionally, when we overthink, our human condition is, okay, I am going to distract myself or try to block it out. I'm just going to okay, try to stop myself from thinking. And of course, as we know, that doesn't actually work. There's this famous experiment from... I think it was the 1980s and they told people, okay, whatever you do, don't think of a white polar bear. So, and they kept bringing up white polar bear, white polar bear. They're like, (laughs) whatever you do, don't think of the white polar bear. And obviously when you try to not think of something, you actually think about it much more. Yep. (laughs) And in that experiment, they realized that it's, better to not try to resist those thoughts. And in general, we want to resist any negativity. If we have negative thoughts or emotions or even physical sensations, Mm -hmm. we want to resist. But when we resist, we are actually creating suffering because of course there'll always be negative experiences but we don't necessarily have to suffer through it and when we add suffering and worrying it just causes your whole day to be ruined sometimes and my suggestion is if you are going to get into mindfulness some easy practices well I won't say easy, I'll say simple, because mindfulness is definitely not easy. It's a skill, the same thing as learning how to play a sport or playing an instrument. It's something that you definitely have to work at. Unfortunately, you know, of course, we all want easy, quick solutions. But mindfulness is something that you really need to incorporate into your day to day. And a really great exercise is something called awareness of thoughts and sounds meditation. And that might sound a little weird. You're like, okay, cool. (laughs) Sounds and thoughts. Why are these two things paired together? And think about it in this way. Our sounds that we hear, it's constantly changing soundscape. We hear our stomach rumbling. We hear cars and traffic outside. 
But when we listen to sounds, we know that they're not a part of us. We're like, okay, this is separate from me. But when it comes to our thoughts, and we have a thought such as, oh, I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? We internalize that and go, oh, okay, I must be stupid. That is a part of me. And one of the big things about mindfulness is realizing that thoughts are only thoughts or to see thoughts as passing mental events of the mind and that you are not your thoughts. And that could be a little challenging at first because, of course, we like to listen to that inner critic who's always critiquing us and why did you do that? You shouldn't have said that. Oh, you're going to fail the test. Oh, no. What did you do? And, of course, that can put us in a negative mood spiral and it can be really hard to come out of that. So I would suggest the awareness of sounds and thoughts meditation, or if you don't have time for that, just set a timer for three minutes and just focus on your thoughts. And when your mind becomes a little overwhelmed, you can of course just come back to your breathing. Breathing is always a great focal point in mindfulness. It's one of the easiest anchors for our awareness. And it really helps us to feel grounded. Just taking a couple of deep breaths in and out when we're panicking and overthinking can just help us to pause for a moment. And then my last suggestion for overthinking is challenging those thoughts that you're having. A lot of the times we have something called automatic negative thoughts or cognitive distortions. And that might sound like a mouthful, but it's these different thought patterns. So I'll give you an example. So there's a type of cognitive distortion called all or nothing thinking. So it's the belief you might have thought, oh, if I don't do perfect on this test, I'm a failure or I'm never going to get anywhere. So you're just, you know, it's black or white thinking. There's nothing in between. It's either all good or all bad. <laughs> and then another type of cognitive distortion is overgeneralizing. So having the thought, Nothing ever good happens to me. No one's ever going to love me. I'm never going to get into my master's program, those type of thoughts. <laughs> and uh, it's really funny because when I took a cognitive behavioral therapy course, and this was a group therapy, I realized that all of us are having these same thoughts and that we're not alone. And when you might have thought, oh, I can't believe I'm having all these negative thoughts and why am I feeling like this? The truth is we're all feeling like this and we're all not alone. And a great way is just to recognize those negative thought patterns. It's so crazy, like how much it, I know you say like everyone experiences this, but it literally is like you're going into my brain. As literally you're saying, I'm just so I'm like freaked out right now because it's like literally everything I'm going through right now. It's but crazy. what this makes me like think about more so is like 
the fact that I never stop to think about mm-hmm. my thoughts in more depth and I always kind of accept them as fact rather sure, than yeah. like just a thought and I mm-hmm. think that that's such a powerful thing because you end up literally beating yourself up for things that you don't need to that are all in your head yeah so for I sure. just I, I find it so interesting that we all <laughs> think the same <laughs> things the and same, just nobody yeah. says it to each other and it's just, just never there. talk about it I feel like we just never exactly. talk about it, right? That's the only problem. Of course, because we're nervous or, you know, there's still is some stigma around mental health. I mean, it is getting better. People are more open and wanting to seek help, but it's still something that, you know, you want to keep to yourself because you're like, I'm having these thoughts and I must be a failure for even having these thoughts because, of course we judge ourselves for our thoughts and then we have thoughts about those thoughts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a never ending cycle of thoughts. Yes. <laughs> um, so that kind of brings us to our next question. What daily practices do you recommend for everyone who's trying to handle so many things and who has so many things on their plate, such as school, work, family, and friends? That is a great question because it is something that everyone is trying to balance. We're all trying to find that perfect work-life balance and it can be really overwhelming at times. And there's a couple different ways to add mindfulness into your day. So of course, most people have heard of guided meditations. And generally, when you go to a meditation studio, you sit, you lie down, and someone guides you through a meditation. Maybe it's half an hour. But there are quicker ways of incorporating mindfulness. So there is something called informal mindfulness. And the Mm -hmm. first kind is everyday practices. And what that means is that you take a regular activity that's already a part of your day. It might be something like eating or walking or brushing your teeth and you infuse mindfulness into it. And you can do this by connecting internally or externally. So externally would be using your five senses And an example would be, if you want to try mindful eating, you would pause before you're about to eat and you might use your sense of smell or your sense of taste to just slow down and connect with what you're eating. Or if you want to try mindful walking, you would focus your awareness on just the soles of your feet And for some people, when they're doing this, they repeat this mantra in their head, which is lifting the foot, moving the foot and placing the foot and just very slowly walking and noticing the sensations of walking. And I like everyday mindfulness because if you don't have time in your schedule, (laughs) this works out really well. And um, the other type of informal practice is short mindful exercises. And typically they're taught as little mini meditations, but as you practice it more, you can do it informally. And one of my all time 
favorite practices is a practice called stop. And I like to just think of a big red stop sign. <laughs> and it's great because stop actually is an acronym for the practice. So it's something that you can remember. And the S in stop stands for stop. You can remember that. <laughs> so you just stop whatever you are doing just for a moment. It can even be two seconds, three seconds. Mm -hmm. Then the T stands for take a breath. So you might want to take one or two deep, relaxing breaths. And then after focusing on your breathing, then you move on to O, which is observe your surroundings. And you don't have to use all your five senses. For me, I will stop and I will observe, okay, how's my body feeling right now? I'm going to check in with the soles of my feet. I'm going to scan all the way up to my hands and my head. Or I might just check in with what sounds am I observing right now? And then the P stands for proceed mindfully. And that can be a variety of different things. It might mean that, you know what, what do I need right now? I need some self care. Maybe I need to have a bath or I need to watch a funny video or take a nap. Or another way you might use stop, and it's funny because one of my students told me that they used stop the other day, and they were having an argument with a friend, <laughs> and they were at a Blue Jays game, and they were trying to find their seats, and it was hectic, people were yelling, and her friend was freaking out, and she told the woman, okay, stop. Just stop for a moment and let's just take a couple breaths. Let's just breathe. And they just stopped. They took like three deep breaths. They calmed down and they were like, okay, we're good to go now. We're good. That made me so I happy. Love that. I love that. That's amazing. So yes, it's great on. and it's quick. That's what like I really love how like all of these activities are something that literally anyone can do at any time. Like it's not this huge yeah. like event where you have to go somewhere or like take like a big chunk out of your day. Like it's just such a quick thing that can happen anytime. And that yeah, I feel like sure. makes it so like universal. 100%. Yes, so I'm, like, for sure. I'm like ready to use this right now. <laughs> no, no, I was like just fighting stop. for <laughs> like, saying take a few breaths. I'm like silently taking same here i'm like stressed about an assignment i'm like okay let me just take three deep breaths and then submit this assignment asap but yeah. <laughs> literally all of us every single day are like i at least i find like for myself i'm like going through the motions all the time and yeah. i never take time to stop it's always like next thing next thing next you're thing. on the go all the time it's like you're always all on the, the time move. Never and like listening yeah exactly and like listening to all of this stuff makes me realize how much more I need to be like mindful in my everyday yeah. life and like live in the present as opposed be in to the moment for sure exactly which yeah. I feel like so many university students like don't do it's, it's really sad though it's just it's an ongoing thing it's like an, it's never going to end we just have to I feel like know what we have to do and focus like you stop honestly yes you stop it'll help you out I feel like <laughs> literally so moving on so in contemporary society is the issue of depression. And I feel like many people that I know, like my dad, I know many people have gone through depression and it's such a really hard thing to fight. So 
what's the first step towards fighting depression? So for fighting depression, of course, it can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And I think one of the first things to keep in mind is that so many people are dealing with depression in mm -hmm. different ways and that you are not alone. It yes. comes back to this idea of common humanity. And this is an idea in mindful self-compassion. And part of mindful self-compassion, there's three different elements. So the mm -hmm. first element is mindfulness. So being present and not focusing on the negative. Yeah. Number two is common humanity. And what that means is that other people are struggling and suffering in similar ways to you. If you are going through a loss of work or someone you love just passed away, there are others who are going through that too. And just knowing that you are not alone can really help you to take the first step to, okay, now maybe I will book a therapist appointment, which of course is a big step and yeah, it's sure. very scary. It is very scary. I could say that for sure. Yeah. And for dealing with depression, some really great mindfulness practices are, it's funny because it, there's actually one of my favorite practices. It's called the mindful self-compassion break. I'm uh, really big into compassion-based practices. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why is because science has shown us that they can be the most helpful for building resiliency. And of course, we hear this word resilience all yeah. the time, build for your sure. resilience. You gotta be resilient. What are you gonna do without <laughs> resilience? Literally. Come on. Literally. Uh, <laughs> and you're like, how do I do this? Uh, so one of the great ways is mindful self-compassion practices. This is also like stop. It's super quick. Yeah. And basically you would use soothing touch. So soothing touch is placing a hand somewhere on your body. I like to put a hand over my heart or two mm -hmm. hands over my heart. You can place a hand on your belly or if you have a place on your body with pain, you might place it on your knee or somewhere else, just something that's comfortable. And then basically it's three different mantras. The first part is mindfulness. So let's say you are, you know, you have an assignment that you need to submit and it's really stressing you out. It's not perfect, but the deadline is here. It's here, yeah. you can't change it, that's it. And so you would say to yourself, this is a moment of stress. This assignment is bringing me stress, but this is what's happening right now. Then you would go into the second part, which is common humanity. And you might silently or out loud say to yourself, well, other people are going through this too. I'm sure other people are submitting their assignment and maybe they're not happy with it either. I'm not alone yeah. in this struggle because uh, there's this 
there's a lot of pressure for academic excellence always oh, and to just keep sure. the pressure. better and better and better and it's very <laughs> overwhelming and then the last part is self-kindness and you mm -hmm. might say some words to yourself such as may i be strong may i have peace of mind may i be kind to myself because a lot of the times we're not very kind to ourselves and it's really important to do that, especially if you are dealing with depression or anxiety. It's really good to take that time for self-care. I like how you were saying that, like, I feel like, especially in the academic realm, there's so much comparison of yourself to other people. And, oh, wow, this person's always doing better than me. Or there's always someone doing better than me. But I like how you said that you should compare yourself in terms of other people being in the same scenario as you <laughs> versus being like, oh, they're so much better off than me, which I feel like so many of us fall victim to. So I like that it's like another way of thinking yeah. about it. That's crazy. I should start thinking like that too, for sure. <laughs> I feel like I automatically compare myself to other people, especially like their academic achievements like okay this person got an A why didn't I get this A like it's like yeah but at the same time just like okay what can I do to better improve myself or why like you know that's why I just start thinking like but it's really hard I would say to... I think it's just like a natural thing to like compare yeah. yourself to other people and I like just that to think I just like thinking about it in a different perspective because I feel like yeah, it's so hard to do me. that when it's you in this scenario like it's so hard <laughs> to separate yourself from that Mm -hmm. so I like that a lot and um, comparing ourselves of course is just human nature that's yeah. how we perceive the world when we want to compare ourselves but I will say that when you're in school that is definitely elevated even yes. more so because you're seeing other people's marks and why didn't I get this Oh, when I, when I was doing my master's program, I was in class with people doing their PhD. Some yeah. people were like, oh, I wrote this book. I wrote three oh, books. Oh, I was like, so what have you published? I'm like, I haven't published anything. And it took a while to just accept that we all have different types of excellency in our lives. And also academics mm -hmm. isn't everything. I know it yes. seems like that. It really yes. does yes. that. I just got to push and I got to be the best at school. But from my own personal life experience, life throws you obstacles and <laughs> things don't always go according to plan. And yeah. I know for me, I didn't spend enough time focusing on hobbies and leisure activities because I'm like, I'll do that in 20 years when I me too. That's there. Yeah, me too. It's there in the background. It's waiting. I'll get there. And um, I had to stop and uh, reassess things and know that, of course, academics are important and it's going to help me to reach my goals. But it isn't everything like relationships in your life are so important and your family life and the other types of goals you have mentally and physically, all of that whole wellness is important. And we, a lot of the times just focus on one area. I feel like we, just the nature of school and academics and being in there is, is competition. Like 
oh, there's so many other people applying to one program and, you know, you all have to compete for it. And it it forces you almost into becoming this person who is competitive and who, like, it makes academics more important than they should be, in my opinion. And I feel like it's just unfortunate that that's the way that it is. Because academics really aren't everything, like you were saying. Like, it's just such a small margin of our lives. And I feel like we are missing it because of the nature of school you know what I mean yeah that definitely happens to most of us because Mm -hmm. that's we're told that everything comes down to these grades and if we don't do this we're not going to get the internship we want yeah the other school that we want and everyone's going to look at all these things but when it comes down to it uh I, I hate to say this but academics is so small in your whole life and even when you do go out to apply to jobs a lot of it comes down more to your interview your connections your passions and a lot I'll also say no one ever asked to look at your degrees ever. I've never <laughs> been asked like, oh, can I look at your degree? Oh, what grade did you, uh, what did you get in economics? Oh, you got, oh, you only got an 80. Oh, we're not going to hire you. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, that's like, as long as you do well and you're proud of yourself and you've done the best that you can do in your circumstances. It's true. I feel like academics is such a small part of success. Like, success is about all of, I guess academics teaches you hard work, which is part of success, but it's about, like, doing stuff you're passionate about and, like, putting in the work for stuff. Like, it's not necessarily academic success equals life success. Like, it's not even close to that. Um, Exactly. And also, sometimes, whatever job you get into, I mean, we always say, oh, you should get a job that you're passionate about. But realistically, that doesn't happen for everyone. And what you end up having to do is you then need to find hobbies and leisure time that are your passions. You're getting that from somewhere. Like my husband, you know, his job's fine. He likes it, but it's just an office job. He's not passionate about it. He has great hobbies and friends and different activities going on. And that keeps him so fulfilled. And don't you know, when we're going through the motions of high school and university, we don't really think about that. It's so true. It's so true. Because we're not taught to think about that. Like no one ever brings it up. You know what I mean? It's all one uh, perspective of thinking. Like it's all one Mm -hmm. direction of thinking, you know. Um, But anyways, this actually leads perfectly into our next question, which is how do you think the best way is for people to deal with uh, jobs and reject uh, sorry rejection from jobs and internships this is a great question and it's something that no one can avoid yes everyone will experience some kind of rejection even if it's not a job rejection it could be a love rejection from someone that you're <laughs> interested in and of course you feel overwhelming emotions and we instantly go on the attack of ourselves. Something I said, I didn't shake their hand right. I'm a failure. There were better candidates. And 
one of the things that a lot of people don't know or don't understand is that as human beings, we have something called a negativity bias. That means that we are hardwired to notice negative events and emotions more strongly than neutral or positive experiences. So what that means is if a negative event happens, we are attached to it and we dwell on it. And when it comes to trying to get out of that, we can just start criticizing ourselves and not know how to pick ourselves back up from that type of rejection. And I think some important things, of course, the basics are if you do lose a job or you get a rejection letter, know that it's not always your fault. It's important to note that a lot of times they already have a candidate picked out internally and you might be perfect for this job and your interview goes so smoothly. And for some reason you don't get the job and you take it personally, but some things are out of your control. That's a big part of mindfulness, knowing that there are some things that are just out of control and you can incorporate something called radical acceptance. And what that means is that you are accepting your circumstance as it is so that you can move forward and make the changes that you want in your life. And of course, this doesn't mean that you are giving up on the situation or tolerating something if something bad happened. It just means that you are accepting the moment and you're not dwelling on it. When we lose someone or lose the job, we can just become so caught up in analyzing, oh, all the things, what went wrong? What went wrong? A million times. <laughs> and then we can't, you know, make a plan for what are we going to do next. And also realizing that, you know what, I do have really great qualities. And when we go through rejection, we forget about our good qualities. Perhaps you're a great listener or you're really organized. So one thing that you can do is something called reflective mindful journaling. And you can, you can do this about any topic, but it's really great to do this with negative thoughts or negative emotions and just spending five minutes just writing down what you're feeling and the thoughts that you're having. And as I mentioned before, we have these cognitive distortions. And once you see these negative thoughts on paper, you can then really challenge those thoughts of feelings of failure to be like, you know what? I don't think that's true. I'm not a failure. I was really successful at this or I did great at this. And it can make you feel a lot better by just understanding where you're coming from in the moment and to review what's happening and to just take the time to process the emotions and thoughts after dealing with something like that. I like how you mentioned basically taking the negative I, I know it's not 
fully negative all the time, but just those negative feelings and making them into something positive in that, like telling yourself, okay, this is how I'm going to proceed. This is what I'm going to do next to achieve my goals. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that I'm any worse off or I'm a terrible person or I'm a failure. (laughs) It just means that I can move forward. Like, and I really like that because I feel like it's so hard for people to do is like move on and accept and that yeah exactly and accept like just what happened to them and mm-hmm. not attribute it to their own qualities so sure. I like that about that and that actually leads us to our advice session so here we're just gonna say a couple bits of advice that people are and Pratika, did you want to read the first one? Yes, I will read the first one. So one student says that I often feel stressed about running out of time or not getting a good internship. How do I deal with a stress or anxiety? That is a great question. Figuring out, oh, am I going to get this internship? How do I deal with the overwhelming stress? And of course, you always feel like there's not enough time. Oh, there's not enough time for this. I'm running out of time. What am I going to do? And one of the great things about mindfulness is on a neurological level, it actually shrinks our amygdala, which is the almond-shaped part in our brain that is responsible for our stress. And this stress response is also known as the fight, flight, or freeze response. And this stress response is really important in life-threatening situations. So if you need to lift a car off of a baby or run away from an elephant or something like that, that's really great to get that stress response because your muscles tense, your heartbeat races, your pupils dilate, you're ready for action. But what has happened now in modern times is this stress response gets activated in non-life-threatening situations, such as you get a rude email from your professor or from a friend. You know, we've all gotten those emails from professors where it's just a short response. You're making up context about it and you're like, oh, this this is not the response I wanted. And you start stressing (laughs) out. You're like, oh, why did they why did this why did they write this to me? And you actually get that life threatening stress response in your body or if you, you know, have a difficult phone call and what ends up happening is it throws off our entire body because we don't spend enough time in something called the parasympathetic nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is all the stress and the muscle tightening, which, you know, is great for life-threatening situations, but not rude emails from professors. And we don't spend enough time in the, it's called rest or digest system. And that's when our muscles relax and our heartbeat slows down and our digestion system is working better. And we really need more time in the system 
so that the stress doesn't feel overwhelming and our body needs that time to heal. And some great ways is just incorporating different types of relaxation practices. And if you don't have a lot of time, you can just take a couple of deep breaths in or out. And if you can try diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing, and that is when you breathe from your belly instead of your chest. So when you breathe in, you're filling your belly up with air. And then on the exhale, you're contracting your stomach. And that actually activates the relaxation system in your body. And it can help you to just calm down and, you know, respond instead of react in these stressful situations. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. I love how you interconnected like science into this, which is really amazing, especially for our listeners. I think that's really amazing. Wow. And also, like, are those the same strategies you would recommend for overcoming anxiety while studying? That's our next piece of advice. It's very similar. I guess one different piece of advice I would have is anxiety attacks are very common now. And it's actually those feelings of heart palpitations and are sweating and feeling dizzy. And you can do something called the rule of three or the rule of three, three, three. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is you take a moment and you name three things that you see. Okay. Then you name three things that you hear. And then you move three different body parts. And that just helps you to be grounded in the moment and to just take time to pause and relax your breathing and your body. Or another great way is something called progressive muscle relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds like a big word. Okay. It's also called just PMR. Basically, what you're doing is you are... Sorry, my throat's dry. One second. No worries. (laughs) We are talking a lot here for sure. Wow. So with progressive muscle relaxation you systematically tense and relax different parts of your body. Yeah. And you start with your feet and you might start by pointing your feet towards the ground and you tense for about five seconds and then relax for 10 seconds. And then you move Mm -hmm. on to another part of your body. And this also helps to switch your body into the soothing system. And it's a great way to deal with anxiety, especially when you have anxiety at nighttime and you're having all those thoughts in your head that are keeping you up late at night. Yeah. (laughs) Always during the night. I feel like that's so common to have anxiety at the night because like you're just sitting there and you have no more distractions of your day. Literally. So it's like all you think about is like 
literally everything and you start hating on yourself because like there's literally nothing else to do but think about that you know what yeah. I mean that happens a lot to me too for sure it's very very complicated but moving on so I myself was like going through a rough patch and I would I, and then it was just like okay I have to do something about it so I went to there like I had went to a therapist at York they were providing some free services for university students so a student asked I know many people around me are hesitant to reach out for help especially to mental health experts do you have any advice for those who don't feel comfortable reaching out or uh, who get anxious about the thought of reaching out and not being heard okay so I have a different uh some different methods for Mm -hmm. tackling this question which is a really great question because I think we're all nervous about seeing a therapist and I have advice for if you're not even if you're not ready to actually get a therapist there are a Mm -hmm. couple of different things that you can do beforehand okay there are free uh helplines that you can call and an example of some of them I know that there's the Canadian Suicide Prevention Service, there's the Crisis Call Center, and most are 24-7. can be anonymous if you want to be and still talk to someone. Right. Another thing you can do, you can also, there are like cognitive behavioral therapy workbooks or mindfulness-based workbooks that you can buy from Indigo or Amazon. And that way you can at least get started in learning more about why you're having these thoughts, common thoughts, different exercises that you can try. And it just helps you become a little bit more familiar and maybe a little more confident when you actually Mm -hmm. want to reach out to a therapist. Yeah. And then if you are ready to actually get a therapist I like to tell people and this might sound silly but getting a therapist is like dating (laughs) and I always tell people you know the first date you know that doesn't mean you're gonna marry that person person, literally yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and you know you have to go on so many dates sometimes (laughs) to find someone who's just okay and it's <laughs> and it's the same thing with therapy. So my recommendation is always do a phone consultation or video consultation beforehand. I actually didn't okay. know you could even do these because oh, when I was in university, I I tried therapy in first year and second year, and I didn't like the person that I had both times and kind of was like, eh, therapy's not for me. I'm just going to give up on the whole thing. And more recently, I was like, you know what? I have insurance through my husband. I should just get a therapist because why not improve my mental health? And I think of it like, okay, when we have a plumbing issue, we call the plumber. When our lights aren't working, we have the electrician. When we're coughing, we see our doctor. But why is it that when we have mental health issues or anxiety, we don't want to hire an expert? (laughs) Like, come on. And they, you know, they've 
taken all the necessary schooling and they're an expert in their field. And as I was mentioning with dating, you have to try out different people. And I know personally, I did seven different phone consultations. I know that might seem like a lot, but it is your mental health and your mental health is just as important as your physical health. So you want someone who you really connect with. And funnily enough, I did go with someone and after a few sessions, I still wasn't feeling the connection. So I actually went with one of the other consultations and it's been much better. So my advice is do those consultations. And if it's not working, try someone else. Just like with dating, you got to go on many different dates. And also let them know about briefly about what you want help with, what you willing to do if you want homework if you don't have time for that also what you are willing to share you don't need to share all your life secrets with this therapist (laughs) only share what is needed and what will be helpful my thoughts on therapy have changed over the years and a lot of my friends they have a therapist who they just see once a month forever like they just have a therapist that they can they can check in once a month and it's just for maintenance and for prevention. And that's a big thing that we also don't talk about is preventative measures like doing mindfulness or having a therapist so we become familiar with our thoughts. We have practices that we can use when we are feeling stressed out so that we don't feel as overwhelmed when those same events hit us. And if you have that therapist, you can work on so many different aspects of yourself that you are trying to improve or work on. There could have been something from your childhood or maybe your romantic partner, you're having communication issues. Maybe you want help with focusing more in school and like both of you said, it doesn't have to be for that one big problem that you go and you're like, well, this happened. So I need to like work this out and then, okay, I'm done. It's all good. Uh, Which is what we like to do, but it's really something that has to be incorporated into your routine, like being physically active, working on yourself mentally and physically. It's something that it's this great resource that has had so much stigma attached for it for so many years. And now people are talking about it a little bit more. And it can be even harder because based on perhaps who your parents are or your family, some people have this attitude and I've heard this all the time oh, back in my day, we didn't have therapists. We just sucked it up. And we just uh, dealt with, we we just didn't deal with our emotions. I'm like, yeah, you just suppressed all of it and (laughs) kept all of it in. And that was not good for you. And there's the idea of, oh, you know, we're just so emotional now that we need therapy. But really, it's 
that we know that it helps and that it works and it's this vital resource that can help us romantically, academically, physically, emotionally, and why would you not do it? <laughs> it's so true. I feel like everyone can benefit at least in some respect. And that's mm-hmm. what I, I feel like everyone, I know that I'm like giving people advice and I shouldn't, but like everyone <laughs> should do therapy. Literally just, everyone go. There's so many oh, yeah. different things you can discuss. Like it doesn't have to be one thing like we were talking about. And I feel like every single person can benefit in some way or other. And there shouldn't mm-hmm. be like it's such a big stigma around it anymore and I think that it's starting to like subside which I'm really happy to see especially in the younger generations definitely and like one other piece of advice is if you are too scared to do one-on-one therapy you can do group therapy and just sit and listen if you're not if you're not open enough or you're feeling nervous about it you can at least learn from that experience and be in the group and also know that you're not alone. So that might be your first step if you don't want to just jump into one-on-one. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like a different experience for everyone. And I feel like you just have to figure out what works for you and what works for you isn't going to work for the next person and the next person. It's like such an individualized experience. Yes, definitely. And they say one of the most important things with therapy is the connection that you have with that specific therapist. And of course, all therapists have their different methods. Some like to use cognitive behavioral therapy, others focus more on acceptance and commitment therapy or narrative-based therapy. But really the most important thing is, do I feel really comfortable with this person? Can I share myself? What I'm really, really curious about because I like suffer from this so much Like, it's kind of related to how we were talking about before, how we're always going on to the next thing and the next thing. And so the question is, how can I not feel, how can I, sorry, I'm like, not, can't read. Okay. (laughs) How can I feel not guilty about not being productive when I'm trying to relax or take a day off? So not feeling guilty. Now, this is challenging. This is so hard for me. Already covered. We have that negativity bias. So we love our negativity we are compassionate to others, but not compassionate to ourselves in the same way. And of course, we think, oh, this is selfish. The first thing that comes to mind, oh, I'm taking time off to binge watch the next Netflix show, or, you know, I'm just eating potato chips and lying around (laughs) and I need to be doing something. I need to be working on something. How is this being helpful for my future and career? And as we've already touched upon, it's really about what is total wellness and what is important in my life. And I wanted to bring up something that I recently was researching And it's the science of happiness. And what's interesting is our happiness comes from three different factors. And the first factor is our genetic baseline. And that's the level of happiness that you're born with. And that's 50%. So your genetic baseline could be low, could be high, and there's nothing you can do about that. 
The good news is that the other parts of our happiness come from intentional activities and that's 40%. And then really interestingly, only circumstances are 10%. And circumstances are what job do you have? what race, age you are, your wealth, your different life events. And that's only 10% of your total happiness in your day-to-day. And we need to recognize that we have this 40% of positive intentional activities that we can do. And a really big part of that is practicing self-care and taking those breaks and to not feel guilty when we want to just lie down and reset. Because when we do take a break, then we can be more productive when we start later. As we know, a lot of us have switched over to the four-day work week. They've done that at uh, in Japan. They did that at Microsoft in Japan. And I think New Zealand, a couple of companies have done the four-day work week. And what they have shown is that people are much more productive with the three-day weekend. And generally, they've said people spend those three days either spending time with family, friends, and a lot of people have actually seen therapists and sought mental help and seeing counseling. And if they didn't have that extra day, they might not necessarily be doing that. And productivity usually rises 40%, 50%. Some companies, it was 100%. I know a company in Toronto did it. I think they saw a 200% increase in productivity. So it is important for those rest and relaxation days. And if you don't believe it yourself, at least believe in the statistics and the facts. It's there. You should relax and you should focus on total wellness. And that kind of ties into how you can build your resiliency. And according to the American Psychology Association, there's a couple of different factors in building that resiliency. And one of them is, of course, fostering optimism, so being positive, but also keeping perspective. So if you are taking that day off or two days off to just relax or paint or focus on your hobbies, know that, okay, the big picture is this isn't my life. I'm not going to eat chips every day for the rest (laughs) of my life and never submit any assignments and just not do anything. That's not what's happening. So keeping perspective. And then another part is prioritizing relationships. So on that day, where you are taking time off, maybe you're making important social connections or you're seeing a friend or 
you know, you're doing a video chat with a family member from overseas that you haven't talked to in a long time and you're reconnecting. And those social connections are really rejuvenating and give us energy. And then the other two factors in resilience is finding purpose. And finding purpose isn't always about finding that job that is also your passion. Your purpose might also include volunteering for an organization that means something important to you, perhaps volunteering at an animal shelter, or perhaps it's a hobby such as painting or taking photography. And you'd only be able to focus on that during your rest and relaxation time. And then lastly is, of course, wellness. So nurturing our minds and our body. And of course, that's exercising, eating well, practicing mindfulness, but also self-care days. So easy to forget those things. Like I know for from personal experience for me, like I find that especially in pandemic times, every single day ends up like feeling the exact same because I do the exact same things. I do school every single day, no matter if it's a weekday or if it's a weekend. And like, I'll wake up at the same time and like every day kind of merges into this one long day because they're all the exact same. And so I feel like mindfulness can really help you like separate from that and taking at least like one day every week and being like, okay, this day is going to be different. I'm going to practice my hobbies. I'm going to do something different. Like, I feel like that can help you stay so much more sane than the way that I have it right now. But that's how we were taught to be busy, to multitask, to always work on the next thing and anything otherwise is being lazy and unproductive. And that's not what our parents would have done or our grandparents would have done. And like, oh, this generation, what are you doing? And you hear stuff like that and you really think that you are being selfish if you do take this time out. And I know for a lot of students such as yourself, you are working on school every day. And if you can't, if you can't take a whole day off, at least take an hour out of your day or two hours if you can, or just five minutes here, five minutes there to, you know, watch those funny videos or if you really like yoga, just making sure that you actually go to those yoga classes that make you feel better and happier. And of course, taking the time to connect with friends or family. We're always taught, like you said, to always be busy and always keep working on the next thing and getting to the next thing and always do things that are going to show well for you, basically. And hobbies aren't those things. Those are things that you do for (laughs) pure enjoyment and nothing else. So it's hard sometimes to make time for those things. Can lead you to job opportunities and really meeting really interesting people and networking. I know personally, I, I used to volunteer for some film festivals. And because of that, I got jobs working for the Real World Film Festival, doing sponsorship. I uh, worked on the South African Film Festival. I've just kind of been everywhere and uh, worked with lots of really interesting people and seen really interesting films. And 
working on hobbies is, you, you know, it's something that you can always work on and figure out, but it really is good to have that opportunity for creativity and just connecting with like-minded people. Yeah. Recently, I started a film club with some friends during the pandemic so that we could be more social with each other, but also, you know, watch good movies. So we watch documentaries, foreign films, and have little discussions and catch up. And it was a great way of melding two things together. So if you are scrambling for time and you're like well i want to see my friends but i also want hobbies see if you can kind of cross over those two things so then you can you know kill two birds with one stone i like that though i i really think like especially after like this conversation how really stresses how much these are important in everyday life i feel like they're so overlooked but like, I feel like it's just so important in maintaining your mental health to have those hobbies. And it's a great idea to like combine them with other things in your life. Like I know, um, sorry, I know I'm talking for super long, but they, <laughs> I had this um, present or not uh, a project, sorry. And basically it was in my creativity class, which is a psych class. And it was that we had to do like a creative endeavor or something. So I combined that I love to draw, like just doodle and whatever. So I kind of combine that with the project so that, okay, yeah, I'm working for school, but at the same time, I'm like getting to do something that I really love. And like just doing the project made me realize how much I really like need a hobby <laughs> in my everyday life. And that's really great that you bring that up because everyone I talk to now is like, I don't have hobbies or I think maybe I need a hobby. And I'm like, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm still trying to figure that out. But now in my life, I realize how important it is. And because it's such a big factor in your overall happiness levels, and really, you know, we only have this one life, we should try to be as happy as we can. Because yeah. uh, we only have today, so we might as well be happy. I really do try and find those positive intentional activities either you know volunteering my time like I do run a free monthly mindfulness session and it's free for anyone to attend and it just feels great to give back to the community and also for people who maybe can't afford to go to a meditation studio or you know do an MBSR program right I feel like that's such a good conclusion point about how we only have like one life and we should do literally everything we can to make ourselves happy. And I just, I really appreciate everything you said today. I feel like it's been so helpful just even for me personally, <laughs> like I needed this so bad. And I'm sure Fatiga, you agree. Thank you so much for coming on here and just for, I guess, helping so many different people that are going to be listening to our podcast because you never really realize how much you need something like this. And um, we just wanted to give you the opportunity to really say any other things you may want to add, any ending points, and to include your social. So Instagram, your website, whatever social medias you may use. My website is www uh mindful-awareness.com so very simple and easy to remember 
and my Facebook and my Instagram is mindful.awareness.to. And of course, if anyone is looking for advice or help, I am always up for a free little consultation. If you want to call me, if you want to send me an email, my email is mindfulawareness.to at gmail.com. And I guess just some final thoughts. I would like to thank both of you wonderful ladies for having me on this Women's Empowerment Club podcast and inviting me for the mental health awareness topic. Thank you so much, Corinne, for all of your insights and just everything and being willing to donate your time to us. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you learned something, and I hope you help, this helped you distress the same way it helped us. So everyone have a great day, and we'll see you next time.